No, good morning, everybody. Good morning. We are, uh, we are very excited to be at church today, as you can tell, and we're very thankful to, to be here all together. You know, we are uh, very excited about this series that we're about to start together, starting today uh, through the month of March, and then including Easter itself. And so we are going to be in a series called Reflections, and, and the idea behind this series is that we are going to be looking at, the, through the Gospel of John, through the Holy Week, and just looking at different people and, and historical characters that have lived lives that we might be able to reflect on their story and how they interacted with Jesus, but then also recognizing how we might be able to see ourselves in their stories as well. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about this idea of a reflection, you think about a mirror, and mirrors can be places of... Um, brutal honesty at times. My wife has, uh, when I'm shaving, my wife has one of those mirrors that you turn on one side and it's like zoomed in. Yeah. And then you turn on the other side and it's like you can see into your soul. Like it's like a very zoomed in uh, thing. And so I'm like, oh, this is, I didn't know that I had that many pores or that <laughs> microbes were living on that air level of my skin. Um, but it's these very like, it's this moment of honesty. We're like, okay, like this is what I look like. Um, but we also recognize it's a place of vulnerability that you really do have to see some of those things in order to potentially make the changes that need to be made. Um, and so you look at a mirror and you recognize that this is where I'm at, but hopefully it's not where I stay. And that there is a place or there is a way for me to become uh, the man or the woman that God has called me to become. So this morning, as we begin our reflection series, I want to just start us off with uh, a verse that's going to kind of couch this series. And it's from James chapter 1, 23 and 24. We've often heard this, but it says this. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So as we take this next month of March to be able to look and see real life people from the Bible and how they interacted with Jesus and some of the brokenness that they had, some of the moments of vulnerability that they experienced, and then the times of honesty that came forth from that in order to recognize that God had more for them in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the vulnerability, that God had more. And they, their interaction with Jesus changed so much. So may we reflect on these people in the Bible, may we reflect and allow God to reflect within us what he has for us and how he wants us to grow. So will you pray with me as we open up our series and the message this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your word is living and active, and we thank you that we are able to see ourselves in many of the people throughout the Bible. And so God, I pray that you would work in an incredible way in our lives, Lord, that we would not just hear these words, but that we would dive in and we would allow you, Holy Spirit, to work in us and through us, that we would have moments of vulnerability, moments of brokenness, moments of honesty, and we pray that we would have the courage not just to face that mirror, God, of your word, but that we would have the courage to be doers of the word and that we would have the courage to do what you're calling us to do. So Lord, I pray that in this time I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in an incredible way. And I thank you that each and every person in this room is loved by you, formed by you, and is here for a reason this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, specifically today, we're going to be talking about this idea of reflections on being part of the crowd. Now, 
I remember when I was, uh, my first two years at college, I went here to UC San Diego in La Jolla, and I was in one of those really large auditoriums, the ones that hold like 150 people or so, and I remember it was the first day of class, right near the very beginning, that the professor, um, I don't even know how he started talking about it, I don't even know why he started talking about it, but, because it wasn't a religion class, but he had this moment where he just said, does anybody in this room actually believe that the Bible is real. And I remember being a brand new Christian within the first few months and knowing what I believed, but like not knowing how to express that. And, and I looked around and I saw like maybe one or two people raise their hand and, and I had this like anxiety and nervousness. And I'm like, I know I should say something, but what do I do? And I was silent. And I was afraid to stand out from the crowd in that moment. And, and I just felt this wave of guilt come over me. And, and I went over to the professor at the end of the, the class. And I just told him, I was like, I asked him a question that wasn't really the reason I was there. Uh, but then I was just saying, you know, and just so you know, I, I, do, I do believe that the Bible is real and I believe that. And he just kind of had a snarky remark to the class when they said that they believed that. And he just kind of waved off, brushed off what I said. But to this day, I still have this moment where I'm like, oh, I missed I missed that chance to stand out because it's so easy to want to blend in. We don't want to push or force or, or shove Jesus down people's throats. But so we, so we blend in, but instead, what does it look like for us to stand out for the right things and to stand out for who he is and point people to him? And I don't know about you, maybe you've, maybe you've felt that tension because we can see what it's like to not stand out at all like my story of, of not raising my hand. But we can also see what it's like to stand out for the wrong reasons or, or in a negative way. So I don't know if, you, uh, if, you, if there's football fans here, you recognize that the Philadelphia Eagles won their first. Uh, people are cheering, that is so exciting. Um, <laughs> I didn't know. So they won uh, their first Super Bowl a month ago today and they celebrated by destroying their city. Um, and so they would like loot, all that stuff. So. There's a video that showed up on social media that um, normally I like to show visuals to help learn um, because sometimes that can be great. Uh, I did not want to put this on you to see this visual. And so I don't mean to be crass, but just to paint the picture, there's a man who there are a crowd of people around him and he's on his knees and he's looking down and he found, there's no other way to say it, horse feces and ate it. And it's disgusting. And this was his way of like standing out on the crowd. He's like, look at me, like I'm, this is awesome. Again, I'm not showing you this video or this picture, but imagine being like, like what if you were known as that guy for the rest of your life? You're like, hey, I'm looking for a job. Like, oh no, you're the guy with the horse feces. Like we're not, we're not gonna give you the job. But it's one of those where he stood out and he, he got all this fame and all this notoriety, but it was all for, I think we could agree, the wrong reasons. So. What does it look like to, to not, we don't want to be people who don't stand out at all and try to just purely blend in, but we also don't want to be people that stand out for the wrong reason. So how do we face this tension of standing out for Jesus and standing up for Jesus for the right reasons? And how do we do so in a way that honors God? And so as we dive into this passage today, we're going to be in John chapter 12. If you're using the Bible here at the church, it's page 1671, 1671. And we're going to be in John 12, verse 12. We're going to read the story of the triumphal entry. That is, we are starting the series through the Holy Week in the Gospel of John. We're going to start it with the first day, that Sunday, a Palm Sunday. 
And John 12, verse 12 says this. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So in this passage in John 12, we see two primary groups of people. We see the crowd we see the disciples. And so you're going to see kind of throughout the Gospels that there's often a, a distinction that is made between the crowd and the disciples. It talks about in the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, his very first sermon, it says the crowd came to him. Seeing the crowd, he looked at his disciples and started teaching. So he spoke so that the crowd could hear, but he was teaching his disciples. And we recognize through this that God, that Jesus did not exclude anyone from his teachings, except for those who excluded themselves. That he was open to everyone hearing what it is that he had to say. So we're going to look at um, five differences between the crowd and the disciples. Now, I have to apologize. I changed my, the order of my notes last minute, so they did a great job putting these notes together. The notes will still be there, but if you're looking at it, we're going to kind of alternate. The top part talks about the, cr uh, the crowd. The bottom part talks about the disciples. We're going to kind of alternate back and forth, okay? So I apologize. It's my fault, um, but I wanted to just give you a heads up so you're not lost as we go through this together. So with that being said, the first difference between the crowd and the disciples is the idea of the catalyst. Like, what is their reason for looking to Jesus? That are they looking, are they, do we love God for our own sake or for his? And so the crowd looks for Jesus because of what he can do for them. The crowd looks to Jesus because of what he can do for them. So John chapter 6, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but in John chapter 6, it's the feeding of the 5,000 men, not including women and children, so it's even more than that. But as he's doing that, they have this moment where everyone had their fill, he left, and then the people woke up, heard that he was on the other side of the water, and they go and they try to meet him, and they say, you know, where did you go? We didn't know that you had left. And Jesus just calls them on, and he says, you're not here because you saw a miraculous sign. You're here because you had your fill of the loaves. See, what he's calling out is that they weren't here because they were actually pursuing him. They just wanted another free meal. They wanted what he could do for them more than who he really was in the first place. So the crowd can be typified or can be signified as people who want to see what Jesus can do for them. But disciples are people that look to Jesus because of who he is. Not just what he can do, but who he is. The response that comes out of that is that in that chapter in John 6 later on, Jesus starts giving them some hard teachings. He says, I am the bread of life. You're going to have to eat my flesh in order to really become my disciple and follow after me. And you hear all the crowd, so much of the crowd starts to leave and they start grumbling and they say, this is a hard teaching. And even some of the disciples end up leaving. But Jesus turns and he looks to the 12 and he says, what about you? Are you going to leave too? 
This is Peter's response in verse 68 and 69. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That they're saying, we have no other place to go. The crowd, they want to see what Jesus can do for them. Disciples say, Lord, we know that you could do great things for us, but we care more about who you are, that you are the Holy One of God. And so we will go where you go and we will follow you. And so we recognize that this often, this catalyst of why it is that we are coming to church or why it is that we are wanting to learn more about Jesus. Is it just because we want him to, to do things for us? Is it because we like the idea of, of thinking of God as like a, 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 a aspirin or something that we only need when we're in pain? Or is it something that we think of him as a spare tire that only in the most dire circumstances we keep him in our back pocket hoping that, you know, someday I won't really need him, but if I do, oh, I have, I have God. Is it based on what he can do for us? Or is it the idea of who he truly is and that we want to seek not just his hands and what he can do, but his face and his heart and who he is? The crowd, when we start to look at it, and we'll have these moments of honesty throughout the sermon and vulnerability where we'll look and say, am I more like the crowd who's wanting him to just do things for me? Or am I more like the disciples who just want to pursue him for who he is? And so that's the first one. And I'm, the way that I want to show you is that I remember being, uh, growing up as a 49ers fan. Um, no cheers for that, interesting. Um, it's fine. <laughs> It's fine, we're fine. Um, but no, I remember growing up as a 49ers fan, and I remember they were playing the Dallas Cowboys one Sunday afternoon, and I remember being in my living room and just praying, like, God, if you would just let him kick this field goal to win the game, like, I will love you forever. <laughs> and they did, and I have, no. But, but, but it's one of those where I remember this moment of, like, I just wanted God for what he could do for me. I also remember, uh, so maybe some of us have had moments where you get a test and you're in school, and when you see the test, you immediately realize you did not study as much as you should have for this test. And you just say, God, if you just help me to pass this test, then I'll love you. Um, and all those are examples of things in which we are seeking God because of what he can do for us, not purely for who he is. So that's number one. Number two, we already talked about the catalyst. Number one, number two is the closeness, that the crowd is impressed by Jesus. They're impressed. They're able to see from a distance, like, wow, that is an impressive thing. He's able to raise Lazarus from the dead, that someone who had been dead for four days was able to come out of that tomb. They were impressed by that. But that, we can, we can be impressed by God, but, but that often shows that there's a distance between how close we truly are to him, as opposed to, as a crowd is impressed, disciples are truly changed by him. That um, I know uh, Pastor Evan mentioned it, that Pastor Dan does a great job uh, with the youth. And another ministry that does a great job here is, is our children's ministry. And Mary and Susie and the fact that um, my daughter is in uh, the Kids Praise, Danny and the Shacks. Um, and Mary was in town visiting family a month ago while we were still up in the L.A. area. And so she stopped by and gave us the, the CD uh, and the script. And so we've been listening to that nonstop. And... <laughs> We, I have it in my head, and it's been great, but there's a line in one of the songs that talks about, or in between songs, rather, that Helga, which is not a biblical name, but it's a character in, the, in, that, uh, in that Danny in the Shacks, 
talks about, you know, I know that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was impressed by your God because you were able to just eat the vegetables and you, showed, you looked healthier than those who ate uh, the, the meat of Babylon and the finer foods. And one of the characters, I don't know which one, but it's one of the shacks, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, one of the shacks just says, well, you know, a lot of people can be impressed by him, but that doesn't mean that their life has been changed. See, we can keep God at a distance. We can keep him at arm's length, except for when we need him and we need him to be able to do something nice for us or we need something from him. But outside, when things seem to be fine, it's easy for people from the crowd to be able to say, well, I'm just going to keep you at a distance. I don't need you. And so we, we don't have this closeness that disciples have. That we as disciples, we decide that we're not just going to allow external changes in our lives, but that there's an actual deep heart change and that I don't know about you, but sometimes the greatest distance that I've have ever had to travel in my life is the 12 inches between my head and what I know and my heart and how that affects me. That we can be impressed with head knowledge or we can have the head knowledge come in of like, okay, I know that God loves me. Like I know that he died for me on the cross. Like I know these things, but they can, they can start to lose that impact. And we can say, oh, that's an impressive thing that God has done. But it's hard when change has to happen. It's a moment of vulnerability looking in a mirror and recognizing that I have to change something about myself. And that's not easy. So it's easier to be a crowd member who's impressed rather than a disciple who wants to be changed. So we have catalysts. We have closeness. The third one is we have complacency. That the crowds, they often hear Jesus' words. Like we mentioned, he preaches and, and he teaches in front of them. They hear his words. The disciples don't want to just hear them. They don't want to just come on a Sunday morning to use our modern day context, just to come on a Sunday morning and say, oh, my ears were tickled. I felt good about myself. Uh, that's awesome. And I'm going to go leave and live my life the same way that I always have. See, they could hear the words, but disciples, they want to truly know what those words mean. What do they mean when Jesus said to love your enemies? What does it mean when it says to, persecute, to pray for those who persecute you? And, and then how does that apply to my life right now? Because we hope that there's not a complacency with anyone here that just comes on a Sunday morning to hear a quote-unquote professional do it with a microphone attached to my shirt. That it's one of those where you, the Word of God, is accessible to you that you can go every day of the week and dive in and wrestle with the Scripture and not just be content with hearing what is talked about on a Sunday morning, but actually challenging yourself, not being complacent, and diving in and allowing those words to change you and to really know what they mean and how it impacts your life. That we recognize that being complacent and just, it's easy to just come on a weekend service and to just be able to listen and, and to say, oh, I, I'm, I'm a disciple because I come to church all the time, but consistent church attendance does not always equate discipleship. But allowing God to change us, allowing the Holy Spirit, who is the true professional, more so than any preacher, more so than any pastor, the Holy Spirit, who is our guide and our comforter, he is the one that wants to come in and change us from the inside out. And he can do that throughout the week, not just for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. And so not to be complacent. In Matthew 13, there's a section of the parables where Jesus talks about through all these agricultural parables of the, the mustard seed or the parable of the sower, all these different things. And the disciples, they, the crowd is hearing it, but the disciples pull him aside and say, Jesus, what, is, what does that mean? And he explains the parable of the sower to them. But 
it's so easy to want to just hear it, but not actually dive in to what it means. So a crowd hears the words, the disciples want to know what they really mean. The fourth section is cost. What's the cost of following Jesus? That crowd members are fans of Jesus. They're fans. I mentioned I'm a 49er fan. They're, but it's not like anyone in the 49ers knows me, right? It's, it's, you could be a fan from a distance, and I, and I like them. But you think about the crowd are fans of Jesus. Disciples are followers of Jesus. And see, now in our, in our current culture, especially with the younger generation, you think about following, it just means that you went on Instagram and you follow someone. Like, that's all it takes. Like, oh, I clicked a button. We're followers. Or you go and you just, it, it, the difference between following now versus what following Jesus meant, that you would leave everything behind, that the, the disciples, they cast down their nets and they threw aside their fishing business so that they could pursue God when he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That we see when Elisha was called by Elijah in order to follow him in the ministry, that Elisha takes his 12 yoke of oxen and he kills them and he uses the yoke to burn the fire to offer sacrifice to God. And in symbolism saying there is literally no way I can go back to my old way of life because it cost me everything to follow God. Now for us, we recognize that it might cost us friendships, it might be people that we've been friends with for years and we just say, you know what, man, I can't partake in what you're partaking in. I can't, I can't live the way that you're living right now. I love you and I'm here for you, but this, there, in order for me to be honoring God, in order for me to stand up and stand out for him, I gotta, I gotta take a little break. And it might be something big like moving somewhere, like being called to ministry, like going somewhere far away in order to pursue the gospel. I don't know what that cost will be for you, but fans and followers, followers recognize that there's a cost. Kyle Eidelman, he's a pastor who wrote Not a Fan, which is a book that has some of this idea into it. He quotes, uh, there's a quotation from him I'd like to read. It says this, fans are happy to follow Jesus as long as that doesn't require any significant changes or have any negative applications. There is no way to follow Jesus without him interfering with our life. Following Jesus will cost you something, which brings about a very telling question for most fans. Has following Jesus cost you anything? How has following Jesus interfered with your life? Has following Jesus cost you something? Again, it could be something big, it could be something small. But would people look at your life and would you not decide to blend in? But when you stand up and you stand out for him, do you see, is there a cost that comes on the end of that? Because as, a, as people of the crowd, it's so easy to just blend in and just say, oh, I'm a, I'm a fan. I like what he does. I, I'm, I think he's a great teacher. He's a good moral man. But he needs to come in closer. He needs to change us. We need to move from just being crowd members to disciples. And, and our prayer is that every person that comes here, that even if they come and they start as part of the crowd, that they would become disciples of Jesus. And so for us this morning, we're looking in the mirror and saying, am I finding myself aligning more with the crowd or am I aligning myself more with the disciples? And so one question is, has following Jesus cost you something? And lastly is consistency. 
The crowd worships Jesus on Palm Sunday, but crucifies him on Good Friday. That the same people who are singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna is the, the, sorry, the Hebrew word that means save me. So the same people who are screaming, save me, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel, are the same people five days later that are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. That that crowd can be swayed by modern opinion. The crowd can be swayed by what's going on. The crowd can become fickle and just kind of go with whoever's voice is the loudest is the one that must be the truest, which we know isn't true. But this idea of the crowd worships Jesus on Palm Sunday. They have the palm branches, which signify victory. They see him coming in on a cult, which was a messianic prophecy from Zechariah. They recognize that he is the coming king. But if there's people that are following a coming king and only last five days before they want him dead, and they're not truly following him. They're just part of the crowd, going where the crowd will go and standing out for the wrong reasons. So the crowd worships Jesus on Palm Sunday but crucifies him on Good Friday. The disciples, they don't understand what happened on Palm Sunday, but they later realize the significance of Good Friday. So verse 16, it says, At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So I love the honesty of this, of saying the disciples didn't even get it at the time. They didn't even fully understand what was going on. But even when they didn't understand what was going on, they still were close to Jesus and followed him. That For us, we probably had in times in our lives where we don't always understand what's going on. We don't know why God is allowing these things to happen in our lives. We don't know why we're still facing the same heartache or our lives haven't turned out the way that we wanted them to. They, we don't always understand, but we'll later recognize the significance of it. That we'll be able to see how he has worked and he's the grand weaver that brings the tapestry of our stories and offers our stories in ways that we can't even imagine on our own. And so we've looked at these five things. And I want to close with just five questions that relate to those ideas of catalyst and closeness and consistency and complacency and cost. So you can write these down if you want. You don't have to. But here are five questions that as we transition to the close of the sermon that I want us to wrestle with. Number one, what is your catalyst for pursuing Jesus? Is it because of what he can do for you? Or is it because you want to know more of who he is? So what is your catalyst for pursuing Jesus? Number two, are you close to God or are you keeping him at a distance? Are you close to him? Are you allowing him to see those flaws and, and to have, you know, as much as that makeup mirror shows me into, into my soul, God is the only one that truly can see that level of vulnerability that looks into each and every one of us as one would look into a mirror. So are you close to him or are you keeping him at a distance? And I would kind of add like a, like a 2B to that. If you are keeping at a distance, why? Is it a pain? Is it a heartache? Is it just things haven't worked out the way you wanted them to? What is holding you back? What is keeping you in the crowd? Three, have you become complacent? Have we become complacent to, to not want to keep learning, to not want to keep diving in, to not wanting to just do anything else than, than just showing up and, you know, having a great service in the morning, and that's awesome, that's a great thing, but it can't be the only thing when it comes to our walk with God. So have you become complacent? Four, 
Has following Jesus cost you anything? Because we recognize the great cost of Jesus laying down his life for us and recognizing that if we are to be like Jesus, there will be sacrifices that we will have to make and things in which we'll have to lay down our lives for a cause that is greater than ourselves. Has following Jesus cost you anything? And then lastly, is your worship on Sunday morning consistent with how you live your life by Friday night? By the end of the work week, are we so stressed and so overwhelmed? By the end of the school week, do we just have so much going on that when friends invite us to parties, we just think, okay, I just need to blow off some steam. I just need to kind of live the way I want, and I'll be good by Sunday morning to come back, and, and, I'll, and I'll play the game of church, or I'll, I'll act the role of good Christian, but recognize that if our worship isn't consistent on Sunday morning as it is on Friday evening, then we haven't fully allowed God to move in us and through us and shape us and to make us into the men and women that he's called us to become. And so with those questions, we're going to have, I'm going to pray in just a moment and we're going to have a time of communion. And, and maybe if you did write down those questions, maybe there's one that you feel the Lord just kind of leading you to wrestle with during a time of communion right now. Because we recognize that in this time, we, wanna not, we don't want to be people that just blend in like I did in my classroom. We don't want to be people that stand out for the wrong reasons, like the Philadelphia Eagles fan. We want to stand up and stand out so that those far from God can recognize that, you know what, I know that person, and I don't know what it is about that person, but I want what they have. That, that as disciples, we would be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that we would shine like stars in this universe in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, but that we We'll be able to show people the way to Jesus, that, that the same crowd that might be mocking us at one point would then be a crowd that of disciples that are calling Jesus and recognize that only he can truly save us, that we want to stand up and stand out to be men and women, that when we look in the mirror, we reflect upon that. And maybe there's some moments of honesty and vulnerability that need to happen today. May that happen in this time of communion. May that happen in prayer if you need some prayer afterwards. But will you join me in a word of prayer as we close this time of reflecting on being part of the crowd and how we want to move beyond that into fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for your word that it is living and active. God, I thank you for the idea of, of recognizing that for some of us, we might look down those five questions and say, wow, three of them are, I'm, I feel like I'm like a disciple, but there's two that I still feel I'm being hung up on and I'm still more like a member of the crowd. God, I pray that in this time of communion that there would be such vulnerability and honesty as if looking in a mirror and then not just those things, but the courage to move forward in the way that you've called us to move forward, the courage to stand up and to stand out and to not allow the crowd to sway us. But God, we wanna know you for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that it cost you so much. So we should expect that there would be a cost for us to follow you. And so we, we pray that you would speak to us and minister to us, challenge us, encourage us, do what you need to do, Holy Spirit, in each and every one of us in this time of communion as we take the bread that represents Jesus' body, as we take the cup that represents his blood, we partake of it, and we take this time to allow you, Holy Spirit, to work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as they're being passed, as we've mentioned before, if you are...
Um, if you know the Lord and, and you are here for the first time, we still invite you to be a part of communion with us this morning. Um, we're going to have uh, some time to just meditate, to have some, some soft music, and then we'll have a, a closing song of worship together. But allow God to do whatever he needs to do in your heart in this morning as we commune with him, as we connect with him, as we allow him to look at us and we look at ourselves as one in a mirror, that we wouldn't just forget what we look like, but that we would go forth, we would march forth in order to become who he's called us to become. So please feel free to partake as you feel led. that last line because nothing has the power to save but your name. Do we believe that church? Amen. Amen. So here we, here's the thing. As we close out this morning, you know, there's a third group of people that was a part of that passage and, and it was the Pharisees at the very end when they said, look, the whole world is going after this guy. We're, we're not doing our job. And they used that. And they were upset that the whole world was going after them. Isn't that what we want is for the whole world to follow after Jesus. And so they, you know, today we've been using the crowd as kind of like a negative sense, like a pejorative, like we don't want to be part of the crowd, we want to be disciples. And for people who have known the Lord and have a relationship with him, that's, that's okay for us to say, but we also have to recognize that there are people in your spheres of influence, in your schools, at your work, wherever it is that you may be, that they're not even part of the crowd yet. They haven't been able to hear his words yet. They don't know about Jesus yet. So the sixth C for us as we leave is, the, the word call, the, the call that we have to bring those who are far from God near to God, the call that we have to help seek and save that which is lost. And so over this next month, as we are going through this reflection series, culminating in Holy Week with Good Friday and Easter, we want to challenge and encourage you to be disciples who stand up and stand out, but to go and to call people to God, to invite them here so they may be part of the crowd first, and maybe there'll be a crowd for a season, but our hope and our prayer would be that they would not stay as part of the crowd, but that they would be disciples of Jesus Christ, and to his name be the glory alone. Amen? Amen. Thank you all so much for coming. God bless you all. We'll see you next Sunday morning.